I work for Publishers Weekly. I'm a senior news editor, and one of the things I do is write about comics. But what we really, obviously, we write about the whole book world. Uh, but more to come. The podcast is one of the things we do, and it's a weekly podcast. And I do it uh, along with Heidi McDonald, better known as the Beat. Um, uh, I know a lot about comics. I don't even come close to knowing how much um, as much about comics as Heidi. Our other third, uh, our third co-host is. Uh, is Kate Fitzsimmons, who's our podcast producer. Check us out. Also, check out our comics coverage at publishersweekly.com slash comics. We're there. Uh, we've got all the news, all the, uh, the, the, the statistics, uh, the interviews, um, news coverage about what's going on in comics and graphic novel publishing in the, in the book trade, but also in the conventional comics industry. So, commercial's over. Uh, yeah, if, if you've already read... Curveball, uh, then you know you're in for a treat. If you haven't read it yet, then, you know, get set. Uh, um, Jeremy is terrific. I've actually, this is the second time I've interviewed him. Uh, the first time was at Book Expo America, the, uh, the big, big deal book convention that happens in New York every year. Uh, so we're going to do a reprise of that. <laughs> um, and um, it's even better, you know, I read a digital copy first, so this time I got a chance to read the big fat book itself. Yeah, the first time it wasn't done, which gave me so much guff over. <laughs> but uh, believe me, uh, the digital copy was good. The, the, the real book, of course, is even better. So um, let's see, I've got a whole bunch of questions here and whatnot. But I, I mean, I, I, I wanted to, I thought we would start up maybe just, uh, I'd like to know a little bit more about Jeremy. I mean, I know he's a really talented uh, comics artist. Uh, I mean, this is a wonderful a delightfully entertaining book. Now, it's science fiction, uh, so obviously it navigates technology and a, a vision of how society worked, but it also navigates the technology of emotions, uh, the, the emotional platform, you know, and, it, and it, the, the architecture of friendship and love. So it's, it's, it's smart, it's funny, and it really touches you. But we'll get to the book, but I'd love to know a little bit more uh, about Jeremy and, you know, maybe you can even talk about the <laughs> universe. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I mean, I'm just a big old softie, which I'm sure many of you already know. So the comic, I think, is just a continuation of, of me being a, a sappy guy and being very interested in feelings, which is something that I think sci-fi does a really awful job at doing because it's so... I think there's sort of this mentality of showing off to see how smart authors are and sort of like putting the emphasis on constructing a world rather than making a good story, which seems like such an oversight, but it is such a, a men that, usually the men that are making science fiction are often professors or scientists who are sort of frustrated by their life, and so they're, they're using this platform to talk about how smart they are to sort of show off, and that was something with sci-fi, with Curveball that I was really wanted a good story that just happened to be sci-fi, and if there's plot holes in the, in the technology or the way in which it was constructed, that was fine because it was a better, it was a fine story on its own and didn't really need that as much to like prove to anybody that I, you know, have a PhD in whatever it is, or like a, a you know, a degree in in visionary yes. technology. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, that, well, well. Tell us about the plot. Tell us about. <laughs> tell us. Well, tell us. What is Curveball about? I mean, the, the, the broad overview. Well, Curveball is just about an abusive relationship, an emotionally abusive relationship, I should preface, but it's, it's that idea of a relationship that 
meant a lot and has a lot of emotional weight, but its reality is not nearly as tangible. And so that frustration when something is over that you, you have all this, this leftover emotional labor that was never sort of exonerated and you're stuck with all these feelings and sort of the buildup of something that never came and sort of the shame and the embarrassment of that and the way, way that you're sort of apologizing for how you felt and so you're sort of quantifying your experience as, as a way because it doesn't feel as if it was real as maybe other relationships. I was actually talking to, uh, in, did an interview with Liz today and in that I was realizing that there is such a, a focus on especially relationships in not just comics but all sort of narrative that this sort of, uh, it's very heteronormative where it's like focused on sex and this progression of, oh, can I lose my microphone? Uh, oh, no. Uh, so this progression of, of a relationship that's like building up to a happily, happily ever after. So with Curveball, I was trying, really some, trying to find a narrative that, that allowed a space for characters to be upset about something that maybe wasn't as recognizable as a relationship. So on top of sci-fi, whatnot. Well, there, there are different kinds of relations. There are multiple relationships. Yeah. Because, as I said, uh, I mean, it's, it's about friendship mm-hmm. as much as it is about romantic love. Um, well, I'm going to just start some of the characters in okay. this. Avery. Yeah. Tell us about Avery. So Avery is the main character, I guess technically it's the main character. <laughs> uh, they're gender fluid, and they are uh, in love with this schmuck named Kristoff, yes. which is sort of the, the crux of a lot of the story. Um, Fleets in. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> he's Avery, a sailor. Yeah, he's just a, a wishy-washy sailor, and yeah. Avery is a, dinner, a cocktail waiter on a dinner cruise called The Forever Tomorrow. You know, and one thing I left out in my sort of quick sketch of what the book is is that on top of all of these other things, technology, I mean... There is a war going on of some kind. Yeah. And so, but that, we can talk about that later. <laughs> but that, that's another layer of conflict uh, that the characters have to deal with. But this is also a really fluid look at how people live. So, Jacqueline. Yeah. So, Jacqueline is Avery's roommate slash best friend who works for a uh, crisis center for technology in terms of, uh, it's sort of like a place you call in when... The, it's like when you can't program a VCR, but if you're in this world, there's a lot of uh, problems with the technology of, of sort of backfiring and emotionally shutting down. And so you, this is someone you would call to help. Like, my VCR is not working, but it's like melting and like destroying something in my house. This is who you would contact. So Jacqueline is, is Avery's sort of emotional backbone in a lot of ways. And the relationship between the two of them is, um, I mean, it's just... It's charming. <laughs> I mean, it, but and I don't mean that in a sticky, gooey kind of way. I mean, they are there for each other, uh, which doesn't mean there isn't conflict between mm-hmm. the two of them from time to time. Mm-hmm. But somehow or other, Christoph seems to be the, uh, the, the individual that generates some part of the conflict uh, in their yeah. lives. I mean, yeah. He well, seems to have had a previous, some sort of relationship yes. with Jacqueline before. Yeah. I don't know quite yeah. the nature of it, but, you know, it's... Well, I think for me, I think a lot of it was, there's some, it's something I'm recognizing in my own personality where someone will turn to me for advice or to sort of air out their grievances about what's going on in their life. And I will, because I'm a friend and I care for this person, for, I care for this person deeply, I will, I will listen to them and hear them out and give my opinion. But inevitably there's sort of this like 
hollow space that forms inside where I'm like, I've given up something precious to myself to like make them feel better. And then for some reason, like for two hours afterwards, I feel like garbage. And so Jacqueline and Avery's relationship is sort of built on that idea of, of how far you're going, willing to go for the people in your life, as well as knowing that eventually you have to sort of call off a friendship or you have to pause it to recuperate because you've given too much and there's sort of this black hole that forms, so to speak. Um, okay, well, that's a, that's a quick look at some of the characters. There are others. Um, I mean, uh, Avery, you know, kind of has a sort of a, an imperious boss, mm-hmm. and uh, and she has various friends mm-hmm. on the ship also. Um, I mean, we, we we have to talk about the technology. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to overemphasize the technology <laughs> yeah. because this is a this is a like any great novel, it navigates really you know human relationships. But the technology, in many cases, I think, is really imaginative. Um, I mean, we can jump right to the power yeah. situation. He's yeah. got, I mean, the, the ECC, the Energy yeah. <laughs> Cycle of Conservation. Yeah. So you, you take it from there. <laughs> uh, so the, the energy, how energy works in the world is that, say, for example, like me speaking into this microphone, uh, my voice, the sort of reverberating sound waves would collect in this object and power it through, oop, I feel like I keep, I'm like not doing this, not doing it right. I, did we just have a snap? <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so my voice would power this, if, hypothetically, like if this was, you know, um, and then it would, it would sort of echo out into everything else in the room and because everything is synthetic, it powers itself, so it's sort of like a self-generating, it's a, energy cycle. So nothing is wasted, nothing is, is gained. And so the, the world is having a problem where because things are progressing super quickly and the technology is changing, there will be parts of it that get stuck in the energy cycle and so things will flare out or, or build up too quickly and then they will get destroyed or cause havoc. So it's sort of this, and a lot of it the, in the world, people are sort of denying this happening. They're sort of focusing on bigger things that they have to work, focus on and are just sort of letting this Sort of because it, it it's self-generating, so it will fix itself basically, but without a lot of mayhem before that. But you know, every now and then, everything just gets backed up yeah. in some weird yeah. way. Um, especially now, there is a an, uh, when when old technology mm-hmm. and and old materials are brought into the into play, mm-hmm. that can also cause a, a, yeah. a snap. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like it's just that for me, it was sort of like taking science fiction ideas and allowing them to be something closer to metaphor or something that's allowed them to feel integrated in the story more closely than just like cool stuff I wanted them to draw. So a lot of the stuff of like, you know, older technology or or things getting stuck is just that idea of in our own lives when we have something we want to talk about or something that is bogging us down and we ignore or ignore it until basically we have to force we have to force ourselves to talk about it. So the this narrative is coming at the science fiction from the same way without you know, because going back to the idea of science fiction is sort of like showing off how smart I was, smart I am. I was like, I'm not that smart. I have to hit for my gut because I don't know how to make a book any other way. And so, that's that's where I came from. Well, um, let's, let's let's switch to the drawing because that's another I think remarkable aspect uh, of the, of this book. Um, I mean, you've you've got a drawing style that's very fluid, very cartoony. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also very precise because obviously you're you're recreating this society yeah. that I mean like so much science fiction it's this reimagination of the world but it's actually a world that we feel 
pretty much pretty comfortable in. Uh, there's there's fashion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I did anyway. Well, I mean, I hope so. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think that's part of the book. The I mean, the, the the drawing style is very warm. It's mm-hmm. very. I mean, it's it's cartoony. Mm-hmm. I mean, but that said, it's very it's very precise as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, the characters are well delineated. Um, I mean, can you tell us? I mean, who are you, who are your mo- do you have a models? Where did you distill like hmm? people that are yeah that maybe to influence you in your drawing or or how oh did you gosh. come up with this style? Is this because I've seen some of your other comics? Yeah. This style isn't exactly the way mm-hmm. I've seen you do other drawings. I saw some of your twenty four hour comic oh, yeah, yeah. things. Yeah, um, you know. Can you, is, is that too, is no, that no, getting no. too inside your head? <laughs> no. I mean, I try not to, like, pull apart, like, influences yeah. too much, just because I feel like that gets super gnarly, and I'm really bad with names. Yeah, sure. sure. But I do think that, for at least for this book, I wanted to feel something maybe closer. I was really inspired for a very long time by sort of, like, old Hollywood movies, and so there's such, like, a, a melodramatic quality to those, as well as sort of the way in which they're sort of, like, coming out of, like, a long history of theater in vaudeville, and so I've there's very much this like performative quality that I really liked and was sort of latched onto very early. And so Kerbal, I think, was definitely pulling from that as well and having something that felt... It's going back to that like science fiction as... like I just like hate science fiction, I guess. It does not sound like I love it. Uh, Even though you've fiction, written a science I fiction novel. I, mean, like, I, think I, I think I love it because I hate it. I think it's... it's, it's but the, that science fiction thing of like it being super macho and very like clean and very safe and very... like sexy and I was like did not want a sexy book I was like I'm a goofus my book is going to be goofy it's going to be like everything's going to be rounded and made out of play-doh this is like what this is the only way I can make a book like this so there's a lot of it I think is sort of like with any style it's, it's from limitations it's like this is you know I, I don't know I don't know how to draw sexy <laughs> well I mean I, well, well, we'll see I mean I, I'm not sure if everyone would agree with you that it, this isn't sexy I mean it's definitely like I don't know. It feels yeah. very much just like, it's like, what if you would like to date me? <laughs> well, I mean, it's not a minimalist sort of, you no. know, spare <laughs> no. vision of the future. Uh-huh. Well, nothing, austere. I mean, it's rich yeah. in the, uh, the, the, the character designs, the uh, scenes, the architecture. It's all, you know, there's mm-hmm. a heft to it. It's all, it's <laughs> yeah. curvy, yeah. you know, and it's full of knickknacks and, and curlicues. Yeah. Well, I it's, think it's, you, know, you know, especially with my first book, I think I was trying to hit the baseball like as hard as I could hit it. So maybe the future stuff will be like with the those journal comics you mentioned. Those are more pared down because I don't feel like I was I wasn't nearly as nervous. And I think with this curveball is definitely like the buildup of of like four and a half years of like nervous energy that I have sort of release. <laughs> so I think that's why the book is definitely sort of like has a that. creative snap. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> it just like exploded the, after a while. Yeah, I keep calling it a kidney stone, which is like not yeah. a very cute. Well, <laughs> I've had one of those. So. Book, but. <laughs> Um, but I, I, I want to know more about your drawing. Yep. I want to know more about your designs. I mean, um, you, you know, there's a there's a motorbike, uh, yeah. a- Avery's hog. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> wait, wait, you you decided to she gets she has skills. Yeah. You know, she modded it. You know. Yeah. And well, I think well, for least that figures fair, significantly yeah. in the plot. Well, I think the the motorbike, especially, there's sort of a trope with like Japanese manga and storytelling yeah, that very much so. there's like a. a I mean, I guess it's leaching into American storytelling as well for, like, big action blockbusters. There's always, like, a, a hot lady on, like, a hot bike. And I was like, I want, like, a goofy person on, like, a very practical motor vehicle. And so the, the, the motorbike is that, where it's this thing of, like, trying to play with those, those tropes. And especially early on when Avery was explicitly a woman, there was sort of this idea that 
taking things that I'd seen so readily and repeated over and over again and trying to strip them away of their their sort of generic tropey quality where it was like, of course there's a hot lady in sci-fi book. Like I was like, sure, yes, this supposed to be in all things, I guess, but just because it's always there doesn't mean that I also want to regurgitate it. So I think it's a lot of the design stuff was sort of taking things that I would see in sci-fi over and over again and trying to be like, okay, well, how do I poke fun of this or like how do I make it very Jeremy or how do I leech out some of that that sort of expectantness. So like going back, like the the designs are very like sort of like Hollywood, like yes, vaudeville, yeah. like, and you know, having that be a space where it's like, and you know, in especially in sci-fi, there's such a tendency of of making it regressive, where you're like, oh, this is sci-fi, so it's supposed to be progressive, but it's like I'm, I'm I love the things that I've always loved, and I love the things that I was inspired by as a kid, which often have really bad politics because it's you know from a different era. So I was like, I can maybe take these things and hopefully knock on this artificial wood, uh, <laughs> knock on and like make them better and more progressive yeah. and like think through these things in a smarter way. Sort of like take the expected, expected and, and turn it on its head a little but bit. But they also have the grandeur, as you mentioned, mm. of, of like a Hollywood scene, yeah. the, the cruise ships, yeah, for yeah. instance. It's, it's, they're very modernistic and futuristic, yeah. but in some ways they do hark back to yeah. like some sort of Hollywood movie from mm. the 30s on some trip. Um, I mean, that's... Well, let me ask you about the book design, too, okay. the hot color. Okay, <laughs> talk yeah. about that. Because okay. that, I mean, that that's becomes a... Because it seems yeah. to become a sign for their technology mm. or telecommunications or that, that, when it shows up yeah. throughout well, the book. I, uh, I'd always pitched the book to have the sort of like duo tone, but mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing is like, you know, it's very practical to make a book. There's a lot of very practical decisions. So Nobrow gave me a list of Pantones and I picked the craziest one. Hot, hot, hot. Yeah. You can see it from space, I think. <laughs> well, see what, you, what can you tell us about this, this war? I mean, the, okay. the book opens with a te- an attack mm-hmm. and then essentially it closes yeah. with an attack. People don't sort of talk about it too much until they have till it actually happens to them. Yeah. Um, but it, it really impacts. Mm-hmm. Well, I know, think there's the narrative. It was something that I sort of. I, it was something I put into the book without a whole lot of thought, and then as the book continued, I realized it was sort of this like weird byproduct of the fact that, like, as a human, as a person that on this planet, I've like never known a life without war, and it's always sort of like over there, off in the mm-hmm. distance, and it's something that has become such awful background noise that I think it, it, you know, and also my parents worked for the federal government, like it's something that's part of my life and it's always been part of my life and it's something that I think, science fiction always thinks, I think it always pro- it approaches war as something that it's like you can physically change your characters that are put in positions to like achieve greatness and with our own lives it's something that we never get to do ever, we're sort of like just pawns in what's happening in the world and so I think the book definitely became this this idea of, of being very honest with myself of what, what it's like to have grown up like in a you know, post-9-11 post universe where I was like, this is, it's, it, it happens so frequently that like, you'll, be, you'll just like be in the DMV or like a grocery store and there'll be a TV on with something horrible happening that's just like on without a whole lot of thought and you're just like, oh, of course that's happening. Even though you can feel bad and you say you feel bad, but you, it's, you take it for granted because it happens so frequently. Yeah. So I think the book was sort of approaching, yeah. Some, and I was actually went to a play back in September by a, a trans author named Franz, Francis Webkin, and the play was about uh, Chelsea Manning, mm-hmm. and she. They had a really good interview where they were also saying they're a little bit older than me, but they were they had, they had I sort of stole that idea of 
making peace with the fact that you've only ever known war and there's like never there's nothing you can do about it this is just like how we live our lives now yeah no i mean that that comes across in the book i mean it's weirdly political without being very political well yeah (laughs) also the thing of trying to be sort of try to hit the nerve of what our own lines are like where we're, we're optimistically sort of shouldering through these times without really being able to do anything and sort of knowing that admitting that to ourselves isn't sort of impossible like you can't really say that well we're just giving up like you that's not doing anybody any good so you just sort of have to falsely say that like oh we'll just get better if i say the right things or if i if i am an optimistic person or like i had a really sad moment coming back to new york no, I was on the West Coast for it, but I guess SantaCon is like nationwide at this oh, point. Yes, I didn't know. Apparently so. But I remember <laughs> that I was a year ago at this time. I had marched in in New York for in Manhattan for like the Black Lives Matter movement. Right, and on, that's when SantaCon last yeah, was year was right in the like, middle of SantaCon. Like, oh, yeah, shit, yeah, this is as it like, I got so sad. I was like, SantaCon, SantaCon <laughs> is becoming the like the anniversary of the, I was like yes. this is, nothing has it's changed I was like this is horrible it's an unfortunate and I like, convergence I was in yeah I was in <laughs> Seattle and there was just like a bunch of just like shitty drunk people all dressed as Santa Claus and I was like oh my god here we go again <laughs> and it's that, so the curveball is definitely that thing of like making peace with that part of my life of like this is uh, something horrible is going to happen we're all going to be sad for like six hours and then we're all going to go back to yeah. saying that it's going to be okay well I mean uh, another Something else that comes uh, that, that I feel that comes out of the book. I mean, science fiction is this sort of attempt to kind of delineate the, the world to yeah. come. But inevitably, it seems a lot like the world that we're actually yeah. living in. I mean, um, I'm, I'm really happy to know that apparently there'll be food trucks and diners <laughs> yeah. and coffee shops yeah. in the future. Oh. <laughs> well, there are in Curveball. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just that, I don't know. It's, I think that sci-fi is always so... It's, that funny thing with sci-fi is that I think so many authors attempt to like look so far in the future that they forget that so many things in our own lives are, are actually so fantastical and like so amazing that being able to just like make peace with that is or like talk about it in in hopefully an intelligent way and like bring that to the forefront of being like it's just amazing that I can like look into my phone and like know exactly where I need to go and I don't have to like reinvent the wheel. I just have to like recontextualize our own lives and hopefully be able to talk about them in a smarter way and make people notice what's going on in our day-to-day lives and, and without sort of like, you know, put the smoke screen up and be like, well, they're all like, it's a, there's a giant Wookiee and he has his best friend with this other guy. It's like, no, you don't need to go that far. You don't need to go to another galaxy. Like we still have too many things to talk about. In our own lives, that, and like, homelessness. Yeah, well, there's, yeah, it's just like homelessness is an issue. In the well, book as well, well, it just sort of like yeah, just that idea of, of yeah, not trying to like push too far. No, no, to no. to prove anything no. or like to show off, you know, like that, yeah, because I find it's a reality very, of, like, the, of the life, yeah. the real of the life that yes. you depict in this book. Um, now, I have to ask you about the title, yeah. which really sort of comes in late in the game, mm-hmm. but I'm going to ask it in a way that because. I love baseball metaphors. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you, you, you mentioned something about hitting it yeah. out of the park, but curveball mm-hmm. uh, is actually part of this future technology. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I think the God, this is me. well the title sort of came out as something that I liked the way it sounded, but <laughs> I'm going back, to backtrack and say that a friend recently told me that the way curveballs work is that they actually defy science. And they, they do a thing where they like look like they've, they're coming at you in one way. They look like they're being a curveball. In actuality, they don't actually function like that. So I feel like 
in a moment of, of partial genius. The book fits into that better than just the title alone. So it's, yeah, the, the, the curveball is a technology towards the end, but it's not, it's sort of that, that play on words about you expect something and you don't get it and how to make, the, make peace with that. Um, now, did, we, did I already ask you about friendship and, I mean, there's the, the relationships, I, I don't want to overlook mm -hmm. the relationships in this book because, yes. yes, it's all about science and technology and cool designs yes. and your fabulous drawing style. I mean, I, I, it's really hard for me to describe it. It's because it's so, because it's a very detailed book, mm -hmm. though the, the, the drawings are, are very gestural and fluid. It's not like, you know, you clearly labored over the book, but it doesn't <laughs> necessarily seem yeah, that way, yeah, I you know? I don't want it to feel like, you know, um, like I tried too hard. But, but, but the, the relationships in this book are really powerful, mm -hmm. you know, um, and they're meticulously, I mean, you, you don't just throw people together. You really give a sense of how they came to be the people that they are. Thank you. I, that's, I mean, well, that, that's, I'm just saying. <laughs> um, is there a, what's the, uh, yeah, was that a question <laughs> or a statement? I'm not sure. Uh, well, whatever. Okay. Yeah, you deal with it. Um, but then we're going to ask for some questions. For okay. you. I think um, I've run out of questions. That's why I'm just making statements okay. here. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I think it's just that I feel like in my own... Yeah, because I think there is, you know, looking at the things that I really loved going into this book, sort of like the romantic comedies that I loved as a kid and realizing that there is such like a horrible tendency that when the character that's in love, usually which is the main character, everyone else plays like second fiddle to them in regardless of like who they are or like and that was the thing is I started the book and I realized I was sort of like walking to all the, walking into all these horrible cliches where there was like especially having like a roommate of color who just shows up to just like offer advice and funny anecdotes and I was like, I've made the worst mistake ever and I didn't know. I just like <laughs> made such a schmuck of myself and so with the book sort of became a way to like backpedal out of that as a way to like give everybody in the world an opportunity to sort of speak their mind and say that like they give them names give them people they were in love with give them jobs give them hopes give them whatever in a way to not just validate them but also like make them be in the world for a reason because sci-fi especially and it's not just sci-fi but it's i feel like a lot of narratives especially like sort of big mass medium narratives often have really generic main characters that achieve greatness, and then a lot of like really amazing secondary characters who are just there to like bolster the main characters up, and that was always so frustrating to me because I was always loved the side tangent so much more than the main story, and I really wanted to sort of do that same thing with my own book. So, like for example, there's this. Have you ever seen the movie Jupiter Ascending? It's really terrible. <laughs> but there's this really amazing part that I I, I feel like I'm just going to steal because no one's going to care about this movie in four more years. <laughs> but there's this part where uh, the main character, what's it, what is it? Mila Kunis. She owns the Earth. She owns Earth. And so, <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> so she owns Earth. And so the whole movie is her like getting ownership of the Earth and like from all these other people who are trying to like get it for cell de like development. They're like harvesting cells. Anyway. So they go basically to space DMV, like Mila Kunis and um, what's the guy from Channing Tatum? Uh, he's half dog, half human. Okay. I haven't seen this, but now I'm I, I think I have to. hard right now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so they go to space DMV, and so there's this really amazing scene that goes on for a little too long where like Mila Kunis, owner of the Earth, and her best friend slash like soon to be boyfriend dog man, go <laughs> and they get they're given this like humanoid robot who is their like liaison. And they're all the robots have like they've sort of like a, a plasticky face and sort of like a robotic body that's like very clearly a robot. But for some reason, whoever designed the movie, they're like they're all just gay men. 
And so there's all these like robotic <laughs> gay men who are in space DMV. And so they're like, doing given one of these gay men who is there's like long sequence of him like bribing other people, the DMV because it's a mess and there's like a lot of paperwork. And so he's being very charming and he's like very proper. And they're like it goes on for a really long time and there's all this sort of like tangents. It's not building anything. But then they round a corner and because they have all robots, they have all the same face. He bumps into his like duplicate robot. And they have this really long, really awkward exchange where they're just mad at each other because they have the same face, even though like their robot is like a different color body and his is like like the dark, scary gay version of himself. And it's just like an aside in the movie, it never comes up again. And I was like, where is that movie? Where is that book? I don't care about anybody in this movie. And so for Kirkwall, I really wanted You've made this movie irresistible. For that scene some is bizarre great. reason. That scene is great. There's a really awful part where Channing Tatum uh, space roller skates. He can like fly through mm. the air on roller skates. I I'm not joking. Very good. Um, okay. It's a horrible movie, but Purple, I think, a lot of that. There's sort of like a long, in sci-fi especially, there's sort of like a long history of like cool things that never get the time of day, and so Purple, I think, came out of that, of like wanting to give those characters the space to be themselves and let them like actually talk about what's bothering them and and be very honest about that that stuff instead of being like, well, we've got to save the world. It's like, you don't get to do that. Let's, Let's get through this week. Let's like make peace with our past relationships. Let's like make peace of the fact that we have a shitty job and like can't get out of it. Like these are the things I want to talk about. These are the things I want to see. And you know, while we have time, we're all together. I mean, yes. in a midi- at the end of the, yeah. this book, all of the stuff that's happening, they're really kind of just amazed yeah. that they're all together yeah. in one, yeah. one piece. Yeah. So the only other thing I want to say before I get a question is look at his glasses and then look <laughs> at Jackie's glasses. Oh, no, that's not... I mean, I'm just I won't say anything more than that. Well, no, that's the thing. Is every character in the book is me, though. Ah, okay. Well, <laughs> my, okay. My, well, I just picked out one. Okay, there. My, my roommate read it last. Well, I summer, love the glasses. There you and go. She was just like, Jeremy, it's great, but it's just like 14 years. Yeah, yeah. Really talking. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know. That's, I've been living with it for four and a half years. It's just me. There you go. All right, questions. I'm gonna and when you dig, I'm gonna repeat it too because I want to get it on my phone. <laughs> There's one right there. Yeah. So the question is about the fluid gender of Avery. Yeah. Well, it was sort of that when I first started the book, I was it was very reactionary to a lot of sort of like mainstream science fiction and also sort of like movies in general because it was like I started it in 2011, so it was like a weird. It's like weird to think back to a time before Hunger Games, but it was just this, <laughs> this thing where I was like I was just like sick of seeing movies just like filled to the brim with like a generic men. And I was like, I just, want a, I just want a story with as many women as I can possibly fit into it. And so the book, for a long time, Avery was explicitly a woman. And there was sort of no, sort of like no gender outside of that or no representation beyond like women and men. And then as I got older and sort of was recognizing the people in my own life and sort of like did a lot of growing up, uh, I was sort of aware of a lot of stuff that I wasn't talking about or wasn't aware of. And last summer when I finished penciling the book, uh, I got a lot of people to read it. And there was always this really weird moment where 
they would read it, and I was like, how do you feel about it? I'm like, let me know. Like, all, tell me all the horrible things I need to fix before this goes to print. And they were like, oh, it's great. And then at the, they would say a few things, and at the very end, they would be like, well, and Avery is a... And there'd be a pause. And I was like, what do you... I was like, what? Uh, uh. They're like, I was like, a woman? And then they would be like, oh, okay. Just wanted, I was just like, I the check. always thought she was a woman, but I wasn't always sure. Well, it was that thing of like, <laughs> people were... And I would post drawings early on, and they were just like... They would like call Avery a man, and I was like, oh, no, no. And I was also thinking, I was like, I don't want a sexy character. Like, I don't want like generic representations of like sexiness. But it was this thing where I was like, I've lived with this character for so long, and as like a cisgendered gay man, I was like, my view of, of what it's like to be a woman is, uh, is of course, flawed. And I also had, like, and I was trying to be very faithful to what I knew I couldn't talk about in this narrative. Like, I could not talk about sex. I could not talk about certain kind of, like, relationship problems that I've never experienced. And so Avery, as a way of making peace of the fact that I, I was writing what I thought was a woman as a cisgendered gay man, I was like, this is falling outside of the binary and try to make the, make the best represent, case of representation that I could with what I had sort of written. And also knowing that a lot of people in my life who are struggling with gender and being very, being very honest with me about that and sort of feeling stuck between two worlds. And, you know, it was also the thing too of, of like when I came out, there was sort of like this like weird feeling of, of invasion or being like, you're suddenly like, oh, I'm gay and I'm attracted to that. And now everybody knows. And it was so embarrassing in a way that I, I felt like I wanted privacy suddenly, and especially having a character who is, who feels very exposed, I was like, well, the way to give them privacy again, or give them some sort of autonomy is to obscure their gender in a way that it made them feel safe, or at least hopefully made them feel safe without having to, you know, because when you're in love or whatever, you're like a frantic mess, so it was like anything to like give yourself any kind of, of safety was something that I really wanted to drive home with that character. And Avery's a mess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're all messy. Yeah, well, that's true. But yeah, it's her story. Yeah. <laughs> Another question? Oh, come on. Don't be shy. I know half of you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Come on. Come on. Come Don't on. make me point. <laughs> well, I, I will. Okay, right here. Okay. When you're talking about that whole, like, advice, you, like, give yeah. <laughs> Do you want to repeat it for uh, that? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Say it, yeah, I, you, say it again. Just so I, like having a sharing that, giving too much advice, too much personal opinion to a friend, and then having to deal with the feedback. Is it nice being on both sides? With the nice being on both sides of the advice yeah. to a friend character, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's sort of the nice thing about making fiction, is that you sort of get to exercise a lot of your demons and so to speak and so I think a lot of it for me there's sort of it, I think it was the first time where I think making the narrative and also sort of that thing of when you're working on a book especially when you're working on for a book for so long you sort of like you're in you have tunnel vision with it where you're like you, parts of it you just assume you already know very well and you, you haven't really thought about them deeply in a long time and then I was sort of the thing where I was like oh my god it feel, must be horrible to be Avery's roommate and then I was like towards the end of working on it I was like I have to address this I have to fix this I have to like Bring this to the light, bring this to light, and also something that I was like, oh, this is something that happens in my own life, and sort of weave that together. And I think you know, there's no there's no solution for like friendship where you like feel like you're you're giving too much or you're not getting enough back. But I think something of, of just like articulating that I think has been really helpful for me 
and just being like, oh yeah, this is like, I need a break, or like, I don't need to feel bad after, like, I don't need to give that much in terms of, of advice, or, and also like, not feel as bad about the things in my life, and like, give myself the credit for being like an okay guy. <laughs> Who Another laughed? Question? Who laughed at me saying, okay <laughs> guy? <laughs> I'm sure you are. <laughs> question? Right here. How different did it end up? How different did the book end up being over the long period of time it took to uh, put it together? Um, it's well, I think structurally, it's a lot of at least the beginning is pretty much the same. But I often tell people that like I was in the I got accepted to a program in France. I guess got two and a half years ago, uh, but I had drawn up to that point like 150 pages, and I had this really amazing but very brutal critique from this woman named Jessica Abel, who's a really amazing author, but she, we had lunch and she was just like, this is a mess, you need to start over, and I threw She's it all She's a great out. cartoonist. She's great, she's a really great person, and, and I will never forget that lunch for as long as I live, because she, we were eating Moroccan food, and it was very complicated, there was a lot of like dishes, and like different, like chicken with bones, and she like never stopped eating while telling me how horrible my book was. And then we got, and then we got tea afterwards, and she, I was like, I just wanna go home, and she's like, no, let's just keep hanging out, it's great, and I was like, no. <laughs> horrible enough. Uh, but I got tea and we made small talk, and then I went home and like didn't know what to do. Where I was like in this France program for nine months, and that, I think that was within three months. That was like three months into my program. I was like, oh, I well, this it. is what I was. I know to be Jessica working. really well, yeah, so and you and you nailed it there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She just obliterated it. So I worked on other stuff, and I like sat with the book for a while, and then I was like, oh no, I'll just like redo it. So you know, from that point, the book, the ideas of the book are sort of the same, but. Just trying to like make a better, smarter, like more sensitive project than I think I, at the beginning I thought I was funny. I'm not a funny person. And a lot of that stuff got cut out. And so trying to like be, and also, you know, the book is very much, it's very sentimental, it's very sappy. And in the process of making that book over four and a half years, I also sort of started to make peace with my own sappiness and not like try to fight it as much and sort of be like, no, this is who you are. This is the book you made. This is the book you had to make. And that's okay. You don't have to, you know, be anything else than what you know you're already. You already are. That's okay. There are some awesome dumb jokes. I, well, the dumb jokes are not funny though. Well, they're like they're funny in context. They're, <laughs> they're dumb jokes. I just, I mean, yeah. I'm not calling them what they are. But they work in the context a, of the characters that you've created. I yeah. think a bookstore like Instagrammed a page from my book maybe like two months ago, and someone. It was a dumb joke on the page of the Instagram, <laughs> and someone commented that was like, "That was the dumbest joke I've ever read." And I was like, "Sorry." Well, you, it taken out of context anyway. Uh, another question. Uh, oh. Did the conversation with Jessica shift the book? Aesthetically? Aesthetically. Um, mm, mm, no, not really, actually. I think this whole time was that, like... You went book, through all of that for nothing? Well, no, I mean, like, aesthetically it didn't. Story Storytelling, yeah. it changed. But I think, like, visually, I think it, it sort of always was going to be that book. There was sort of not a whole lot of... of yeah, I don't, I don't try to, like, play the, like, 
artistic inspiration card all that much because it feels like bullshit. But I do think that you know when I started the book, even that early draft that Jessica was like, "This is terrible. You have to throw it all out." It's all sort of looked the same, and it was all sort of hitting on the same kind of of at least look. You know, it was still sort of, it was coming from this like cheesy Hollywood, like black and white 1950s whatever. So that has that's always sort of been the backbone of it. The rest of it has changed a lot, though. You know, I want to jump back just to the clothes. That I mean, I, I mean the your the design, the costumery, the 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 way people look in this particular time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that goes that goes a part of the way toward creating this fluid yeah. sense of who they are and what their gender is mm-hmm. too. Um, how how much how involved were you in creating these? I mean, Avery has a an interesting wardrobe yeah. that switches between. You know, it does. It's it's not quite what we would consider to be male, and yeah. it's not and it's not necessarily unfemale either. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's also a sort of like a long process of like checking myself and mm-hmm. sort of like what I expect, like attractiveness or what I expect, you know, yeah, what I, what I assume to be what like a character when they think they're at their cutest should look like, and sort of allow that to be. <laughs> sort of more open and, and less rigid, uh, rigid. I had actually a good friend, I, there's some really bad movie that I hate a lot called Ex Machina, which I feel like, oh, I just hate sci-fi, I'm sorry guys. Um, but yeah, in it there's like- pretty recent, yeah. Yeah, it's a terrible yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, but at the very end, the, like, there's like the sexy android lady, but a good friend of mine brought it up that, and I didn't think about it, but the re- up to that point, she'd been wearing sort of like a, a cardigan and like a sensible t-shirt or sensible shirt, and at the end, she gets, like, really sexy, and she gets, like, a hot wig and, like, a hot dress, and then, like, kills people. Sorry, spoiler alert. But it was this thing where I was, like, it had never occurred to me that it was, like, this is just such a, like, a hetero white guy made this movie, and this is what he finds attractive. And I was, like, I don't want to be that guy, especially with, like, checking myself as well, being a gay man, and sort of, like, a female worship is such a, a problem where you're, like, you're, you're not really focused on making a story about women. You're just, like, oh, I love women because they're, like, funny and you're like objectifying them and I was like I don't want to put what I assume to be attractive or what I what I you know I want to give these characters as much autonomy as I can as one person so a lot of that was was like really not making anybody sexy or like not you know what I assume to be like a hot wig and a hot party dress or whatever I hate that movie I'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) next the back row you, you talked about uh, the idea of characters being able to have their own privacy and their own private lives. Um, the fact that this is a, it deals with technology, they also have to deal with it because, you know, people are saying we're going towards a future where we won't have any privacy. Mm-hmm. So the question is about the nature of privacy in this gender fluid future that you've created, and yeah, and what role does technology play in well, defining that as well? Well, my book like doesn't touch it touches it on it touches on, on that a little bit. The way that I see it in the world is that if we're uh, a hyper public generation, and I feel like our kids will be a very private one, as sort of like a, a, a backlash. 
So and even now, I feel like there's sort of been this like uptick of technology that has sort of been stripped of a lot of its like public features. There was like a, I'm actually back when we were speaking in May. I remember I can't remember the name of it now, but I think a sci-fi tech company, not San Francisco tech company. Excuse me. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, put the, put out this phone that it's like for it's it's like very fancy. Like the website looks like it could be like a dating app or something, but it's it's like a, a cell phone that just has like nine buttons, nine or ten buttons on it, and like no screen. And it just it call you get calls, and then the calls get re forwarded to like your home computer or something. And so, but it was all about like reclaiming privacy and like none of the distractions and think, looking at that and realizing that at least in this world in the future, I feel like they're yeah, I think there's be sort of a you know not that not that I'm like trying to make a political statement about like return to privacy or anything like that, but I just feel like it, the technology doesn't have the same like glitz that it does for us now, and I think a lot of that stuff. I'm sure there are problems like that in the, in the world that I will probably address in future stuff, but I think for now the way I was seeing it is that a lot of people are not nearly as obsessed with that stuff as as we are now. It's sort of like a thing that they're just moved on and they're focused on, you know, like the, there's a lot of focus on letter writing and sort of in the book as well, like going back to that, you know, if we're a generation that was, has gone to a lot of parties with people who own typewriters, it's like, you know, going, thinking of a future in which people, you know, are like really obsessed with like holiday cards and not having that stuff be disseminated over like some fiber optic, fiber optic cable. In fact, um, <clears throat> one of the uh, other charming aspects of the book is that but the military has gone back to paper because yeah. it's more secure. Yeah, I yeah. mean that's <laughs> it's more secure than digital. Yeah, that's true. I mean that's a yeah. There's a lot of like technology. I mean, yeah. especially now. Back like, to the future. Yeah, there's a lot of you know. I feel yeah. I mean, as parents, having parents who work for the federal government, I like know too much about the oversights of yeah. things that like we people that are in charge of us. So I think that's it's not too far off base. Any more questions? Shall we? draw it to a close yeah well um, it's an awesome book go out and get it um, I'm sure you can get an autograph too while you're here <laughs> might as well anyway hey Jeremy Cerise and Curveball from No Brow thank you guys so much for coming out yeah. tonight as well and read more comics and uh, I, I'll be sitting over there if you have any like really embarrassing questions you like didn't feel like asking in public I'll be over there signing books yeah. so thank you guys Thank you. Thanks for asking me to do this.